Today's guest is Alexandra Love. She runs her own podcast at FCC Radio on Sundays. Uh, so you should really check it out. It's called Here's Why That's Funny. She's also a stand-up comedian, and she's also a writer. Had a great talk with her, very insightful. And uh, I have find out that I have a lot more things in common with her, and it's great. Uh, it's, it's great to meet other people that you feel have similar experiences as yourselves because you know that you're not in this necessarily alone. So uh, I think I had a, a very amazing conversation, actually. I'm really glad that she came on. And um, I, I wish her nothing but the best, you know, because, you know, the thing she's doing is awesome. And uh, but before we get to the conversation, if you haven't heard already or is this your first time listening, my name is Jorge M. Sanchez. This, this is the JMS podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast if you will. And you can also follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook. Um, there's a lot more content on the website. You can go to the jmspodcast.com. If you need to email me for any reason, jmspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I've posted another blog post, another food culture blog post on the website. Check it out. Had a great talk with Kirk Varton. Uh, he is the owner of A Slice of New York located on Stevens Creek in San Jose. And this is like one of the best pizzerias I know. Like uh, Every, every, every time I need to test someone out as far as like a date or anything like that, I take her there. And if she don't like that pizza, then I know that things are not going to go well for us. Uh, you might be saying, hey, Jorge, that's a little harsh. You can't really judge a person by her taste buds. Yeah, I do, actually. I think uh, the how someone eats is very important. I think you got to be somewhat compatible. Uh, I'm not saying she has to eat the same amount as me. What I'm saying is, you know, I, I think her, her taste buds... And the type of food she likes is important because you know, when you're in a relationship, going out to eat or deciding where to go to eat is hard enough. So it really helps when you're with somebody who has very similar taste buds. So you don't have to worry too much about you know getting food that she doesn't like or he doesn't like. So uh, for me, a slice of New York is definitely that food benchmark that I go take them. So check out my conversation with the owner Kirk Varton. It's uh, under the food culture section of the jmspodcast.com website and I had a great talk with them and and that's why I love talking to business owners because there's always a story behind an establishment you know it's a story that you, you'll be surprised is even there you know you go into a restaurant and you assume well it's like a restaurant you know but you, you don't know how much hard work they put on into that so I think that's a, another reason why I'm doing these culture uh, food blogs because uh, I'm very curious about them, and I'm sure you guys are as well, you know. All right. So, uh, yeah, check it out. A Slice of New York conversation with the owner, Kirk Varton, at jmspodcast.com. And it's also on the Facebook page. You can check that out. And on the Twitter. Yeah. It's all over the place. You can find it. All right. Let's get to our conversation with Alexander Love. out of my voice podcast year and a half. <laughs> yeah. you know what? i'm the same way uh, after every guest they they always say you know i don't think i sound too good so you could feel free to edit that out yeah and after i released the episode they're, they're like oh my god I, I loved it i just don't like i don't like the sound of my voice no one does <laughs> and i'm like well imagine that feeling 
53 episodes you know <laughs> right because i've been doing this for over a year now as well and it's like to this day i'm not used to it, my voice Me neither. <laughs> and you know i feel like i'm getting a little better there not as far as voice but as far as talking mm-hmm. remember the first time i did first couple episodes i mumbled a lot right uh, i still mumble just not as much mm. but it's still there but you've been doing uh fcc radio right yes. and uh, here's why that's funny that, yeah that's the name Thank you for getting it right. So if you, so rarely do people get it right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a listener. I, I, oh, I, thank you. Yeah, yeah. People think it's weird, but no. I listen to everybody, all the local comedians' podcasts. You're way better than me. Uh, well, you know, you need to see what's out there. And realize, you know, oh, that's cool what they're doing or this guest is interesting. Because honest with you, though, you kind of got to be in the trenches to really understand, though. Yeah. Because before I did podcasting, I, I didn't give a shit for people's podcasts. Mm-hmm. Did you? Oh, no, I was mm-hmm. never. Uh, I, I used to, when I was a kid, uh, podcasting was still kind of new. Uh, but uh, I used to listen to the Harry Potter podcast when I was a kid. But that was before, like, iTunes made it a thing. That was just like. I didn't know Harry Potter podcast. had a podcast. How oh, was that like? It was amazing. I used to call in with. Uh, are, we, are we on right now, by the way? We're recording. Yes. Oh, my bad. We're, we're not on, we're not live. But, so, <laughs> I'm used to like live, like right. we're on, and everybody in the world is listening right now. Yeah. Uh, but when I was a kid, I used to call into uh, the Harry Potter podcast with like different accents and uh, and uh, ask different questions. It was it was my little foray into into voice acting. <laughs> when I was that's, like 11. <laughs> that's interesting. I, the uh, Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, I she, think it's called Muggle something, MuggleNet something like Muggle that. Net? Uh, it was way back in the day, but uh, that was the only podcast I listened to before I started like doing podcasts. What, what kind of conversations did they have? Uh, God, uh, that must have been uh, fifteen years ago. But um, they used to talk about just like things going on in the world of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. like new books coming out. Because back then the, the books hadn't all been released, like the movies hadn't all been released. So they were talking about like rumors and like what like, like fan theory, fan theories, things like that. So uh, so yeah, that's that's what we used to. I, I used to be super obsessed about Harry Potter yeah. back in the day. You read all the books, watched all the films oh yeah my, my family got so tired of it really oh yeah <laughs> uh, I do have a weird Harry you're probably gonna get mad at me oh please <laughs> I couldn't read a Harry Potter book you can't read it I just can't okay you look around this room okay I've read I see a lot of books I, I've read these books <laughs> yes these are you're very well read these are my family uh, library some are mine and I have my personal library in my room behind me okay and I read a lot of books yeah. But a Harry Potter book, I just couldn't get through it. You know, <laughs> which one did you start with? Uh, the first one, oh. uh, you know, because my dad tried you know introduce that to us, and uh, then I tried to get back at it with the Half Blood Prince. I think uh, you started like right uh, number six after that. Yeah, six. So, <laughs> but when the first movie came out, mm-hmm. when the Christopher Columbus is that his name? Christopher yeah. Col- uh, the director, yeah. right? Christopher Columbus. Uh, he made the first film. Uh, I remember I went to go see that in theaters like three times. Really? So yeah. you like the movies? Uh, I love the movies when they came out when I was a kid. Uh, like, we're about the same age. How old are we? How I'm are 23. 23. Okay, you're a little younger than me. Okay. Uh, I guess. I'm 26, so we're three years apart. Yeah. So uh, we're still in the same generation. Yeah, now, same right? generation. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I had to think about that. <laughs> but anyway, as a kid, it came out and, and I went in there. And it just, you know, for, for us, that was like Star Wars in the 70s. Yeah. You know, for us. That was a big deal. And and <laughs> and that film was also a landmark in the combination of special effects with the CG and practical effects. And, oh, yeah. They got a lot uh, of Oscars for, for that. For, for the first time, uh, flying on a broomstick seemed actually believable. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, now, like, 
we look back at now, you were like, oh, we could totally tell these are fake CG. But, I can't. But, but, but at the time, as a kid, yeah. it's like, wow. It's a big deal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and how vast the, this expansive world in, in the film was where, you know, it's a, it's a little details they put into the magic and the background and stuff like that. And yeah. I was like, wow. And I went there the next day and then the next day. So three days in a row? Yeah. You didn't give yourself any time to, like, no, process? No, I, I fell in love with it. Okay. And then I, I remember I bought, like, these cards, collectible cards. Mm -hmm. I guess you could battle it out somehow. It's like Pokemon meets... meets, meets uh, uh, I, I remember them having the uh, the Wizarding World cards. Like, I remember yeah. the, the ones that you got in the Chocolate Frog things. Yeah. yeah. I never collected them. Never? I, I was a very for, poor family. Cool. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, and then after that, I... I've watched the other films here and there, mm -hmm. and to this day, I've not finished the entire Harry Dude. Potter film series as no, well. You gotta just just any any like day on ABC Family, they'll have a marathon of all seven of all eight actually because the second <sighs> the last one split into two. Did Did you grow up on that? On, oh. on the Disney Channel, the ABC Family Channel. I grew the... up on the Disney and Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. I started watching Comedy Central when I was eleven. <laughs> so uh, I started watching uh, the Daily Show and all those guys like basically right when uh, right when it came out. So did, I, did you understand what they were talking about? I forced myself to. I tried my best. Yeah. I, so so you did it to come off as smart, not necessarily because you liked it. <laughs> I did it because um, there was a there was a boy that starred in a movie that I like, and now for the life of me, I can't remember his name or what movie it was. Well, you were really in love. I was, and uh, <laughs> and he was a couple years older than me, and he said he listened to he watched Comedy Central, and I was like, oh, I want to be like. Him. And so I started watching Comedy Central and was like, this is kind of weird. I don't really get it. <laughs> but uh, the older I got, I kind of start switching between Disney and Comedy Central, which is kind of a weird right. thing because I started really liking it like for my own benefit. Like uh -huh. I started liking stand up really young. I started liking The Daily Show really young. Uh, so, yeah, I w when I was like 11, 12, I was switching between like Nickelodeon, Disney Channel and CC. So that, yeah. that was my TV experience growing up. Was that something you had difficult talking at school about? Um. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I, I didn't talk at school. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's the story behind that? I wasn't a popular kid growing up. I was always, I was always super Well, who weird. is? What does that mean these I, days? Well, I get, no, you know what? I know a lot of people. Like, I, I always ask comedians, like, were you popular growing up? Because most comedians, I feel like we weren't because that's why we're comedians. But I've, I've met a, a lot of, a lot of comedians who were just like super popular people. They're like, oh, I didn't have any problem. I was on the wrestling team, you know? So I guess I know, it was I know who me. that is. <laughs> uh, and, and. But you didn't consider yourself popular. Oh, no. What no, high no. school did you go to? I went to Bishop O'Dowd. I was in the Whoa, East, where's Bay. That? East, East Bay. East Bay. Oakland. Oakland? Yeah. So you're an Oakland guy. You you were raised over there. I was raised in Oakland my whole life. So you were born over there as well? I was born in Berkeley, but I don't like to born tell people Berkeley. that. Why not? Because <laughs> I like to say I was like born and raised Oakland. That way that nobody can ever say that I'm not a real Warriors or A's fan. <laughs> but my dad was a Berkeley guy. He worked uh -huh. in Berkeley. And so... Uh, well, line of work. Yeah. Uh, he was a code enforcement officer. So kind of like a paperwork cop. Paperwork cop. Yeah. So so like all the paperwork went through him and he had to like approve him and stuff? Well, he was, uh, it was kind of like being a cop, but like for a more boring way. Like if the taxi drivers in Berkeley did something wrong or like the people oh. on Telegraph did something wrong, he would file paperwork to have them Got like it. dismissed. Or it's more, it's like, more like white collar uh, exactly. crime. It's right? very white collar. <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. Very That's boring good. family. It's, it sounds boring, but that's actually <laughs> the stuff that fucks up a lot of people's lives. Yeah. It's being scammed. <laughs> yeah. 
you know. So my so dad got I, a I lot of uh, taxi drivers. You know, people people do some pretty bad stuff, especially like you know in uh, transportation. So my dad was always a person, and you know, he always had me on his mind. So you know, what if this happened to my daughter? So right. he took that kind of stuff w- very seriously. Was, was he also in charge of the Bart? Uh, no, but no, uh, one of my favorite things was uh, growing up. Uh, you know, Telegraph Avenue on uh-huh. Saturdays yeah. they have like a, a vendor thing. Yeah, all the vendors come out, yeah. and so everyone. I don't know if they loved my dad or they were afraid of him, but I always got free shit growing up. Nice. <laughs> I always got. They're like, oh hey, the, the, I, this is a necklace I the made. The Bart for Station you. on Telegraph, right? Yeah, there's Bart Station. Where the drum circles at? Yeah, exactly. I missed. <laughs> I, I, I live. I lived in. I say Berkeley. It was actually North Oakland at okay. the time. I lived on 68th and uh, Shuttuck. Oh, well, really? With an ex. Like, very briefly, with an ex. Yeah. And I remember when I was over there, I first, I didn't like Berkeley. No one did. You know? <laughs> but mainly because, you know, I, the potholes they had, because the city don't want to fix the potholes. They want people to bike more. Mm, uh, yeah. So, but after I left, I was like, you know what? I kind of miss Berkeley, and I miss Oakland. Like, I had actually good times over there, and there's a lot of things to do. And there's, like, a sense of, uh, of not just community, but, like, the, a diverse community and the food I fell in love with. Mm, oh yeah, the food's uh, great. I love know, the food. But I I have very fond memories of that that exact place you talked about. Yeah, of, Telegraph. Of, of, of going there on a Saturday, oh. just hanging out, get, getting like some food from talk Berkeley Bowl. I love Berkeley, Berkeley Bowl. Bowl. You got to go in there, <laughs> right? I'm not I'm not quite that level of gentrified yet, but I, is, no. is that is that gentrified? No, been, Berkeley Bowl's been there forever. I kid. Yeah, but, uh, I thought it was like a landmark. It is. A, it's a landmark, I guess. Uh, I I like Whole Foods, which I guess means I am. Super Wait, gentrified. come on! You guys shit on me for liking Berkeley Bowl. It's even worse, actually. Yeah, I I got some uh, some salmon there, and I was just like, I'm gonna make me a little salad, and I'm like, what's happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> what did I become like this? So you, so your father was that guy. He, My dad was, he was that pretty guy. much you know saving people's monies and. and monies yeah people's finances and or at least when it comes to transportation right yeah transportation things like that uh berkeley uh housing ordinances someone wants to build a fence too high or some shit like that you know okay yeah and, and for the most part you feel like you like that stuff uh he he liked it he had to wake up at 5 30 in the morning every single morning uh and so when he retired this year everyone was kind of looking at him like yeah we understand yeah we get it <laughs> we get it you, you've been here long enough yeah 5 30 in the morning I, I couldn't do anything i couldn't wake up at 5 30 in the morning every day for, but, but, for 20 years so does that mean that he actually likes it then uh he liked the money yeah. <laughs> and he liked the city of berkeley he yeah. liked working for the city but yeah. i don't think uh I, I think that now um uh you would need a, a really high degree of education to get the job that my dad had um, and so uh, he liked the fact that uh, he worked his way from the bottom to get to where he was. And now he has a lot of clout in that industry. So if he decides to go back into it, he still can. So uh, I, I'm really proud of him. And I think that the reason why he's so, he takes so much pride in his work is because he didn't have the same opportunities a lot of other people did who are in the same field. You know, you have to have at least like a bachelor's to get that job now. My dad had like no formal education. What, what background did he have? Uh, he, he had sales background. And uh, he used to like... Uh, like it was you raised in the Bay Area as well? Yeah. Both my parents are, are, are Oakland kids. Mm. So uh, uh, raised in the Bay Area. Uh, yeah. And your mom as well? My mom as well. Yeah. Both my parents' uh, families are from the South. Uh, my dad's cool. family is from Mississippi. My mom's family is from Arkansas. But they're raised in Oakland. Okay. I hear that. And I, mean, I think you have some great roots already like, like already mississippi i'm thinking of barbecue i'm thinking of blues oh dude i'm thinking of you know and then arkansas i mean i'm talking about like you know some great food as well oh my god i'm just killer I, i'm just thinking about the food <laughs> no. in your in your 
and your family background. Have no. you have you been over there? Oh yeah, I haven't been to Arkansas. Uh, no. Heavens no. Uh, my 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 mom's family who lived in Arkansas, they now live in uh, in Texas. What city in Arkansas? I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. It was way back in Mississippi? the day. Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi. Uh, I haven't been there in, in 15 years now, so I don't remember. But I remember uh, the last family reunion I went to 15 years ago. Uh, we had a farm and like horses and shit and I was just like wow this is the craziest thing I've ever seen uh, but also I remember there being a sign we, we we drove a little bit out into like the country like the cuts of Mississippi and I remember there being a sign saying uh, "What beware of alligators and I was like oh this is why I can't live here <laughs> this is why I have to go back uh, to the city <laughs> I, I, I understand <laughs> But people over there, you know, there's people that that wrestle with alligators, like no big deal. Yeah, they yeah. they're just fine with it. And I, yeah. I'm like, did you guys see the sign? And my parents are like, oh no, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. I've only seen cartoons, but like I know <laughs> that yeah. this isn't okay. Yeah. And so their family moved over here, and then your both the parents were raised here in in Oakland. Yes. And what line of work was was your mother? My mom was in a funny story. My mom worked in sales for a very long time. She was phenomenal in sales. Uh, she also didn't have a lot of formal education uh, until until she went back to school when I was uh, eight and she got her bachelor's for teaching in Sac State. I still don't know how she did that That's while amazing. I was a, yeah. I was a kid because we live in Oakland and Oakland to Sacramento was very far. So I still have no idea. So how she, she, had a, she had a commute. Yeah, she commuted oh, wow. to Sacramento for all of her classes. I don't know how she did it. Are you an only child? Yes. Okay. Thank God, because we could not have gotten away with a lot of stuff if I was a uh, if I had more of me. But uh, my mom's salesperson uh, and she, so she worked for about a year and a half at the Oakland International Airport, uh, and she worked as a uh, she she used to uh, do. Uh, I don't even know what it's really called, but she didn't work on the plane. She worked on off of the plane. She was like a ticket taker and all the different stuff. Got but it. now she's transitioning into uh, sales again, and she's going to be selling cigarettes. And it's been a whole thing in my family, like, you know, morality. But, like, I heard company car, and I heard a lot of money. So I'm like, Mom, bitch, you better go get that money. <laughs> so, like, me and my dad are on her side and everything. And yeah. she and she's, like, she's still off and on about the morals, but she's like, well, I'm not selling it to kids, and, you know, it's a good company. Right. So I'm like, Bitch, go get that money. <laughs> you know, so I'm proud of her. But uh, so I'm allowed to curse here, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Um, and if your mom listens to this, I'm sure she'll. That's how oh, you guys yeah. get along. Oh right? yeah, my mom is like my best friend. Well, I, I figure as an only child, both parents are your best friends. Oh right? yeah, they have to be. Yeah. yeah. My, my parents. Well, they don't really have to. Be. I think you're lucky that they are. <laughs> I'm very lucky. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I was always a very dramatic kid. You know, so my parents had to put up with a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm an adult now. And so now that I've moved out, our relationship is is stellar. It's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> spotless. It, it, it usually works out that yeah. way. <laughs> so you come from a very, you know, hardworking family. Yeah. With a great work ethic. Oh, yeah. Hardworking family. You know, I think already hearing about your parents, it's amazing. And I'm pretty sure the stuff that they instilled in you. Do you feel that way? I think so. I, I've always, um, in my opinion, I've always been a very hardworking person. I feel like I have to be, especially in comedy, you know, to kind of compare myself to uh, other people. Because there's not that many other women of color on, on my level at all, you know, like uh, on the on the beat circuit, on like, you know, the open mic and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm comparing myself to uh, white men who have been in this business for a long time. And so I see that and I think, okay, I have to work twice as hard as them to even get looked at for certain shows, if, unless I want them to, to look at me because I'm a woman or a woman of color. So I feel like uh, if I want to be viewed on the same level, you know, disregarding my, my sex and my, and my, uh, my color, if I want to be looked on at that same level, I have to be working 
very very hard all the time now did you feel this is a recent development that you've you've realized you got to work twice as hard as being a woman of color or is this felt something you felt like from a young age oh right? my whole life your whole life my parents told me very young that yeah. they were like hey if you're gonna make it anywhere you have to work twice as hard as everybody yeah and that's a true fact I've still I've, I've tried and, I, and I'm a lazy person <laughs> yeah. but but uh, I get apathetic sometimes but then I realize like if I need if I if I'm gonna make it anywhere I do have to work twice as hard so okay now before we go forward in, in that sure. branch uh, I want to relate this back to your high school years sure because that's where we started. Uh, so you felt, although, although you had this hard work ethic and the only child, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that you're melodramatic. Yes. <laughs> you still had a hard time fitting in. Yes, very hard time fitting in. Why do you think that was? Um, I was uh, I was a black kid that talked like this. <laughs> what does that mean? So I always talked like, uh, they always used to call me Carlton. They used to call me Carlton. white girl Oreo, shit like that. Oh. Uh, they thought you were gentrified. Yeah, they thought. And what was funny was that the black kids didn't like me because they thought I was trying to be white. And the white kids didn't like me because they also thought I was trying to be white. And it's like, no, I just. That's the same thing I went through. <laughs> yeah, so you understand. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's because I've read a lot and uh, I always, uh, growing up, I always knew stuff and I always like tried to, to expand my knowledge and growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very cool thing to always be using dictionary words. You know, yeah. they used to call me dictionary girl because I always mm. used to, I used to read the dictionary for fun when I was a kid because I was very weird. Yeah. <laughs> I was a weird that's kid. That's great. I think that's awesome. <laughs> now I think it's cool because yeah. now I, I think that I use the words and <laughs> I think I'm a pretty smart person now. But uh, at the time, I was just I was just not cool. You know, I think people take for granted how essential reading is. I think so too. To man. Not just you, your, I think your perspective in in the arts, mm -hmm. but and also in your as a person. Like you know, you develop new skills. Absolutely, your, your brain is working certain things, and that's something that I'm looking that my father instilled in me as well. Because mm -hmm. my father, you know, he's also doesn't have you know any like school or none of that. But he's like from a young age, like, you got to read. You know. Yeah. And I remember at the time, I was like, I, you know, actually, I liked reading, but I had that issue, that that identity crisis of like, well, the the, the Latino kids don't want me because I don't want to be in a gang or anything like that. And exactly. Then my other friends, I don't know, they just call me Beaner, and it's like, I don't know, it's weird. And yeah. then I'm in, the, and for the longest time, I, I struggled with that, you know. And it's like, and, and then. And again, I would read a lot, and I was like, "Oh, have you checked out this book?" And like, well, like, no, of course not. Yeah. You read, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I totally get it. It, it sucks. It, it, it did it, suck. It's a lonely feeling. Yeah, and then I and then I was, uh, I I mean I wasn't like a particularly great student because I I was uh, always in my own head. I, but you, <laughs> it's funny because they, they used to call you dictionary girl, right? Yeah. They used to call me smart, I, and I hated that because I didn't think I was smart. Mm -hmm. And to prove a point, I actually failed a lot of classes. Really? Yeah, like I deliberately sabotaged my grades to prove to like people that you know to this day I don't talk to or shouldn't even give a shit about yeah that hey I'm just like you guys and, and at I'm the time you know? it seems like the end of the world if they don't like you exactly and then now in your 20s you're like why did I care so much that, that they don't even matter I haven't spoken to them in 20 years you know yeah. but when you're a kid you know you, it, it's important to feel like you fit in somehow right yeah yeah and that was like the worst thing for me ever is because I never felt <laughs> I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere until I started doing stand-up and then I was like oh these people are as weird as me and now I feel like you know this is where I'm supposed to be. We're beautiful, broken people. I know, and I love it. I love it. I feel like I, this is the only time uh, that I could ever really be myself. You know, even in college, and I joined a sorority, and I was pretty popular in college uh, because, you know, it was okay to be smart in college. You were supposed to be. But um, I, I wasn't, I never felt like I had, uh, like, a bunch of, 
people that I could just be myself with 100% of the time until I started doing stand-up. Mm. Which is so weird because everybody I know from stand-up is so weird. <laughs> now, as a young age, you watch stand-up. Oh, yeah. I right. was. Me and my dad were stand-up nuts growing up. Oh, my God. So do you feel like your dad kind of introduced you to stand-up in a lot yes, of ways? Yes, in a lot of ways. My dad, uh, to this day, thinks that he's a very funny person. And I'm trying to tell him that he's not, but he won't listen to me. But uh, my dad and I used to listen to uh, prior records. We used to listen to uh, Robin Harris, uh, the, all the kings of comedy. So uh, so when I started watching Comedy Central, I still had I had a pretty good idea of like what was going on, especially when they were playing. Because they used to play stand-up all the time. Right. You know, so uh, so I grew up mostly on like the, the black stand-ups. You know, uh, the the Priors and and uh, Robin Harris. Robin Harris is my dad's favorite. We still have the Baby's Kid album in our living room to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, my dad is definitely the person that that got me into stand up growing up. Okay. Yeah. But at the time, you, you never really thought about doing stand up. I I actually did. I was uh, when we were watching. Uh, it must have been like a an early incarnation of uh, Deaf Comedy Jam. And I was watching that with my parents, and I just thought it was so cool how he was up on stage sweating. And I remember, I remember thinking how cool it was that he was sweating, because I'm like, he must be working really hard. And I must have been seven or eight. And I looked at my parents, and yeah. I said, Mom, Dad, I want to be a stand-up comedian. And they said, no, you don't. You want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I kind of dropped it for like a year. Like I dropped it for like maybe 10 years. And then I, I was like, okay, I want to do this. <laughs> so when did you decide to actually try it? Uh, I, my... Uh, God, something bad had happened. Uh, it was either it was either a boy had dumped me or something like that, uh, where my parents said, okay, we're going to try to cheer her up. Uh, we know how much she loves comedy. We know that she wants to be a writer. Uh, I guess at the time, I really was focused on being a television writer. That's what I wanted to do. I oh, wanted to write uh, things like that. And so my parents uh, were like, okay, well, we're going to, for my birthday, I guess it must have been my 21st, 22nd birthday, they got me a uh, subscription to this class at the Grotto in San Francisco. Uh, and the, that class was a comedy writing class. It wasn't a stand-up class. It was just a class on like finding your tone through comedic writing. And uh, it was taught by Zara Norbrush, who hosts the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast. And oh, she's yeah. really great. Uh, and so uh, I did that class for about six weeks. And I did good in it. Uh, I, I really liked it. I really gained a lot from it. And then on the last day of the class, there was me and one other kid who wanted to do stand-up. And that kid is uh, Daniel Paredes, who, who still does stand-up every once in a while. But uh, she, she said, okay, since you guys are the only people that want to do stand-up, I suggest that you guys go to the Punchline tonight uh, because they're having the Sunday night uh, showcase. And obviously, I'd never heard anything about it. They were like, okay, go get your punch card. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I go there, um, and I, uh, I, I see everybody, and I just feel so nervous because I, I don't even know these people, and they all know each other, and I'd never done stand-up before. I'd just done the class. And so I, I ran into this comic, and he was a really tall, good-looking guy, and he had just got off the stage of the punchline. He had just, just murdered, just laid it out. And I still, I've never seen this guy ever again. But uh, but he was not very nice to me. Oh, and so I'm well, sitting next to this guy. What do you do? Uh, I just was trying to talk to him. I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm trying to get into comedy. And he's kind of like rolling his eyes at me and like, ugh, okay. Like this kid is trying to do this. And so I was, I was kind of sitting there. I'm like, if this is what they're like, I don't want to do this, you know? And then to my left is like this old man drinking a, drinking a beer. And he's like, hey, what are you up to? I'm like, oh, my God, this old man's going to hit on me, you know? And so I start talking to him. And he tells me, you know, he tells me about his girlfriend. He tells me everything. I'm like, okay, he's not hitting on me. You know, I'm just going to listen to him talk and everything. Uh, he tells me about his shows out in the South Bay. He tells me about his radio show at FCC Free Radio. And so I'm like, oh, that all sounds really cool. And that's actually how I met Paul Brumba, who oh. to this day is still one of my best friends in comedy. So I actually attribute like any success that I ever get to him. 
because I would have walked out because of that one comic. I would have walked out had Paul not said, hey, come down to my room in Redwood City. And mm. so that's actually why it ended up being a South Bay comic versus an East Bay comic because it got started out in, uh, in Redwood City. Well, actually, my first time was at Mutiny, but after that, I went out to exclusively Redwood City San Jose shows. So wow. that's my whole <laughs> that's my whole spiel. <laughs> Uh, no, that's great. Yeah. And you performed it in Redwood for the first time? No, my first time doing it, uh, I they, they told me about Bacon. And at the time, Matt Gubser was updating uh, the rundown every day. Mm-hmm. So I saw that there was a show on Friday, and it was at Mutiny Radio. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. I'm going to go check that out. And I wrote down everything. And I remember my first joke that I wrote was about uh, cracking your knuckles in lecture halls really loudly. And it, it wasn't funny to me, and, and I don't know why I told it, but it did okay. Like, my first uh, six minutes there, I did, I did like, okay, I didn't bomb. And I was so nervous, and I told myself, because I, I, I was wearing all black. I was wearing black lipstick. I was like, I'm going to be like the, the black comic, you know? I'm going to wear all black all the time. Do you feel there's a stereotype of the black comic? Oh, yeah, there is. That's why I stopped telling black jokes as much, because I don't want people to think that I'm a black comic anymore. What's a, what's a black joke? Oh, God. I used to tell... <laughs> God, it's been so long. I used to tell the joke about uh, my my dad meeting my boyfriend for the first time and offering him Kool Aid, and uh, and it's such a long joke and it's such a long walk. Was that a true for... story though? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a true not story. for me. For me, that's not a black joke. For me, that's a that's an actual thing that happened. To it's me. a thing that happened. It's a thing that happened. But I, I stopped telling it also because my boyfriend. How, how awkward was that? Uh, uh, awkward telling the joke no how was that your dad offered well, I mean was it even awkward oh no it was just my dad's my dad's family's from the south they're very yeah. hospitable people like yeah, they're okay. like okay can I get you anything water Kool-Aid and, and my uh, boyfriend wasn't black so he's like is that, what is that was a he? joke uh, Mexican Mexican. So my boyfriend's like, what? We, we drink, we drink Kool Aid all the time. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. But he looked at him like, wait, am I supposed to respond to that? Is that a joke? <laughs> oh, so, oh, man. so I stopped telling those jokes just because I, I want to, and also it's just a good way to flex that muscle when you give yourself things that like you're not gonna write about. Mm-hmm. Like I say, like I've written too many jokes about my parents this year. I'm not gonna write about them. I've written too many jokes about me being black. I'm not gonna write about that. So it gives me some, some sort of like structure when I have like rigid things that I won't write about anymore. Now, you mentioned that you want to be a TV writer. Yes. Uh, uh, out of high school, is that what you wanted to be, a writer? Yeah, out of high school. I actually even have a quotation marks tattooed on my, on my wrist because of how much I loved reading and writing. And I still do. I still want to. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess my, my uh, dreams have kind of changed a little bit. Like, I still want to do writing, but I'd like to uh, focus more on podcasting. Even mm-hmm. though, as you know, there's not a lot of great ways to make money through podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still working that out. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Me too. So, uh, so that's what I well, that's what well, I wanted to do. You know, that's why you gotta love it, though. I do. Yeah. I love it. That's why you gotta love the podcast. It. I love. I love the podcast sometimes more than the stand up. You know, because mm. at least I have a little bit of control over how the podcast goes. Mm. The crowd, I don't. <laughs> now, going back to because how important is structure to you? Because as a writer, I know structure is very important. Yes. But I know to a lot of people, especially in the stand up field, they don't necessarily look at structure as something is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like you have some insight in the in the writing world. You know, as a TV writer, right? What what tools have you used from what you learned in writing to stand up? Well, uh, I've always been a really structured person. Um, I've always written stories. I probably have like five novels on my on my computer that I've written all but like the last act to. Um, and uh, one thing I like is is story mapping. That's my favorite part of any story. Is yeah, you understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like uh, figuring. I like figuring out what makes a character tick. Because if I can do that, then the then the story kind of writes itself. 
you know. Yeah. So that's the first step for me. Uh, as far as stand up is concerned, uh, with with structure like writing stand up for structure, um, it, it's it's nearly impossible because I, I it every stand up has to find their voice, and that's a, a tough thing for me, you know. But don't you feel that? <clears throat> A stand-up finding his voice is very similar to a stand-up finding his character. Right. So his stage character. Yes. So in some ways, you're developing a character on stage. Do you, do you have a stage character? I feel I have various stage characters. Okay. And I think the and I think it's important, especially in not just yeah, I guess stand-up, to have a, a variety of stage character because it mm. depends on the crowd you're working with. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? If you're working yeah. on a clean crowd, or oh, you got this stage character where you say clean jokes. If you're working on in a bar, it's a different character, but you put on that different personality when you tell your jokes. And in some weird ways, I get a lot angrier when I'm at a bar because I feel it's <laughs> the only way I get their attention. But That's do, true. Do, I do, do too. Do, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely do, try to. Because you know, I, I was very thinking about this whole voice thing because, like, I, you know, obviously, I'm not that. They say it takes like years to get your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say it takes five years to even know you're funny. Yeah. Um, but. You know, when someone says your voice, it's is it, is it something that's that's, the, you know, the same through all platforms of stand up, or is it more like the character you built? You know, it's like it's like oh, this character is in this movie and this character is in that movie. We just play with different actors. Does that make mm. sense? Or yeah, am I going no, a little it, too no, out it, there? It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, for me, as far as like finding my voice, I like to think that all comedians, like you know, the comedians that I look up to they have the same character they have the same voice no matter where they are and so i try to like hold myself to that standard because i feel like if i hold myself there then i'll eventually get there but um i i I definitely have the same voice and the same character like across the board if i'm at a bar but i do try to find like i do kind of tweak it a little bit because you're right the bar people do like anger (laughs) they Mm. do like you to so uh when i'm when i'm uh i guess the difference for me is like me doing my set versus me doing crowd work because those are those are two different comedians. Like my set, when I write, it's very structured. Like I know exactly what I want to say and how I want to say it, and like where I want to make eye contact and what beat I want to hit. But with crowd work, it's so it's so freeform. It's like it's a hundred percent improv. So I get to just 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 try out just a new voice, a new character. But you know, within the realm of what I already know about myself, you know. Mm. So I won't go too far out of the box when I'm trying to uh, do crowd work. But uh, at the same time, I when it's a when it's a showcase, I, I don't I really try not to. But when it's an open mic, I just like just let it all fly out and then hope that there's a nugget that I could take home and work into something else. You know, were you into performance prior to stand up? Oh, yeah. When I was uh, I, I've been playing guitar for about 10 years and hey. I'm not I'm not as good as you. I promise you. What? But you've been uh, playing guitar for 12 I, years, I, well, 10, but to 10 years. Well, I just I started, started playing guitar like a year ago. I guarantee you we're on the, the same level. <laughs> What's but the story behind that? Hold I, on. I, Let's talk about that. Sure. <laughs> well, okay. First guitar you had, and why did you get it? Uh, her name was Apple. Her I got name her. Is Apple. I love that you. I love that you named it. <laughs> you are a musician already. I can I know, already right? tell. You may not think you are. <laughs> I, but, I was. But once you name it, you're a fucking musician. My, I got really attached to it. Mine, uh, uh, that old one I got out there on the sofa. That, that one's right. called Mona. Oh, Mona. That's yeah. a sexy and, name. And the new one, I'll show you later. I haven't named her yet. Um, it's so funny how you, I, you know, for me, it's she's a female. For you, it's still a female. It's still it's a female. So All of my guitars are women. I have yeah. one named Tom, and she's a girl. She's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my first guitar was Apple. I got her when I was, uh, God, I must have been 12 or 13. So, yeah, 10 years ago. Uh, and I got her in this pawn shop in Berkeley that my dad took me to, and it cost us maybe 30 bucks. Mm. It was this piece of shit hippie guitar from the 60s. 
and uh, and uh, it was still in good it was still in good shape. Um, but why did you choose to get the guitar? Well, because I always liked singing. I always I always okay. had like a half decent singing voice. What kind of music do you grow up on? I grew up on uh, on soul. I grew up on soul. Yes, <laughs> soul's great. I grew up on soul and R and B and hip hop. Uh, my my favorite song growing up was No Diggity. That was my jam when mm. I was a kid. Uh, but uh, the older I got, the more I got into like pop and punk and rock. So uh, I started listening to Green Day and like Simple Plan and Blink One Eighty Two and all that stuff. And so that was like, okay, I have to go get a guitar. You know, and so so you uh, want to be more of a punk guitarist? Yeah, what yeah. I well, I well I thought I was. I was definitely more. I used to just write my own songs and then perform them at the high school. And mm -hmm. so I was definitely. I thought I was Billy Joel, but I, I was really more Taylor Swift at the time. T Taylor Swift uh, back like in two thousand six, not Taylor Swift now. So you you, you were trying to be more <laughs> pop. Than yeah, you, you I was definitely as far as like my yeah. own musical voice. I was definitely way more pop. And Billy Joel's like you love Billy Joel. No, B Billy Joel Armstrong from Green Day. Oh, Billy Joel Armstrong from <laughs> yeah. Green Day. No, Green stuff, the early stuff is great. Oh, yeah. Jesus of Suburbia, one Jesus of my of Suburbia. favorite songs. Exactly. My favorite song was St. Jimmy from that album. St. Jimmy. Yeah, I used to love American Idiot. American Idiot, like, they, you know, there's some punk bands that come out and they go. Like, because you can tell that they're kind of like this mainstream punk. Yeah. But with Green Day, they really go to the roots of punk. Yeah. And the lyrics they write. You know, it's like it really hits hits you. It hits it, me at it least. It does. It hits. You know, I remember. Have you seen uh, American Idiot, the Broadway? No, I did. They started at the Berkeley Rep, actually. Yeah. And my dad tried to buy me tickets, and I was like, "No, I'm not going to do the conformist nonsense." And then it hit you Broadway. Missed out. You missed <laughs> I know out. I missed out you now. Missed out. For me, that, that's one of, one of my favorite Broadway shows I've seen. Really? Uh, not the best, but like top five for sure. Wow. Um. Yeah, I regret it now. Uh, uh, and they did such a good job correlating his. The music of Green Day into a story of a coming of age that I felt a lot of people in our age would really understand. Oh yeah, sure. and, and when you go to a Broadway show, it's not a lot of people our age go. You know, no. it's another. I reason, love Broadway. There's another reason why I felt <laughs> different going up, but like you know, it's and I was looking at the crowd, and these are like all old people who go to Broadway, yeah. looking at these punk kids talking about you know not fitting in and have, having to get a nine to five job and yeah, and, and I was like, Green Day is not meant. For these people it's meant for us and I'm, exactly and, and for me i felt sad i was like i i wish other people my age saw this because for me it's like because you you listen to green day and and you this is the music but i feel in some ways the media can can like diminish the value of someone's music because you know it looks mm -hmm. so, it looks so i'm trying to sound like a hipster but it looks <laughs> so mainstream looks like you know mtv yeah this and that you see the eyeliner you see the spiked up hair you think okay this is the same thing i've seen a million times you on know MTV. The, the celebrity gossip yeah but you cut all that bullshit and you just listen to the music for what it is and what they're trying to say with their music mm -hmm. it, it, i think it hits you a whole nother level it does and with the broadway show i think they really exemplified this they really put it out there like that I don't know. I just I went on time. I wish no. I wish I could have seen that Broadway show. Now I it's not too late though. I'm sure. The, I'm sure they'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. But but you were into Green Day, and yes. that's what you wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. A, I wanted to be a pop star. I wanted to be a pop punk star, and so I used to write my own songs, and I was okay. I wasn't okay. And I was you performed okay there in front of a crowd. Yeah, that's why I I, I never felt uh, nervous going on stage as a stand up because I'm like okay if I can go up and sing my music with my you know mediocre voice and expect for an applause I I can get up here and expect to laugh you know. <laughs> Why'd you stop? Why did I stop? Uh, mostly because of stand-up. I still play for fun. I still have fun with my own guitar. But I, I stopped performing after uh, after high school because uh, I got so into to stand-up. You know, 
be I was I never I didn't perform until I was you know 21 22 but uh I definitely just got so enveloped in like stand-up comedy as like an art form that mm -hmm. I just completely dropped music uh post it was even funny because I actually uh saw my old guitar teacher at a show that I did not too long ago and I didn't do that well I actually kind of bombed at that show and my guitar teacher's like oh so this is what you quit guitar to do <laughs> like, in what yeah. way he said it. it was a very it was a very like you know like oh this is what you what you did only because I did not do well I uh, did not do well at all ouch. That that's gotta hurt it did it did oh. at the time but I, I knew that it was just a bad night it, it didn't really reflect me as a comic but uh but yeah that's why I, I i stopped playing guitar you know but do you do you still write tv write and stuff like write screenplays and such like that or or books because you say you have books in your yeah. in your hard drives that are not finished yet yes have actually. you published anything i published um short things like poetry short stories like in my in my in, my, in oh. like you know the concept of like college and high school literary magazines things like that but uh, nothing big. But uh, I actually tried to go back over. I tried to change my writing style a little bit for my my the novel that I was working on for the last couple months. Uh, which obviously, I, honestly, I don't really talk about it very much. So this is like this is new for me. But um, I usually, like I said before, I love to story map. I love to figure out what's going on with like a, a person, what makes them tick. Um, and so uh, this one, I said, okay, I'm not gonna map it. I'm just gonna start writing. I'm gonna write a character, and I'm gonna see how it worked out. And it did not work out for me very well. <laughs> so, how, well, how do you approach a story? Well, for me, I like to figure out. Uh, I like I like morals because everything that I've ever read, I've gotten something from it. I've gotten a, a something that I can apply to my life. So I'm thinking like, okay, so what's something from my life that I could put out here and give a message to somebody else who who wants a message? And so I start with the message. What, what, what am I saying that's important? Otherwise, I'm just writing to be writing. What am I saying that has any sort of basis in real life? Um, and then I go with the character. And I try to make this character as in interesting as possible. And then I try to put them into any situation. Not really something I write out, but something in my head. Like, how would this character react in this situation? And then I kind of, it's like, um, I, I even have like little mini in my head interviews, like the way that I do on my podcast. Like, as you know, like doing podcasts is the easiest way to find out about a comedian. You know, yeah. so like I try to like uh, in my head do these little mini uh, interviews to try to just get to the nut of like what makes this person, makes this fictional character really tick. Uh, and then I try to write from there. Yeah. So that's so, my so pattern. So you feel character drives story or plot drives story? I absolutely 100% I've always believed that character drives story. Okay. Uh, I've, I, that's why I love television so much because mm -hmm. I think uh, television is, uh, is character driven. Uh, whereas TV, uh, whereas uh, movies are plot driven basically. Uh, I like I like the idea of okay this is a character this is this is this is what uh, they want this is how they are this is this is where they've come from so let's put them in different situations and see how they react hmm. that's the way I've always thought about it and you haven't been writing novels lately uh, I, I stopped my last one about two months ago uh, and then I started writing like a fairy tale for fun Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not that's not going to go anywhere, but it's just something I've always wanted to do. Just write like a long story about a, a princess and a castle and shit like that. Just a way to keep my, my muscle going. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you, you got, got to. to. Because otherwise you forget. And it's so easy yeah. to forget how to like keep or, that or, muscle. Or, or you burn out. Yeah, you know? exactly. I, I, for me, every time I write a script, I do something different um, mm -hmm. as well. And not, not necessarily a script, like some, just something else. Just yeah. But I, I kind of understand. Uh why? Because when I was introduced for stand up, I dedicated a lot of time to stand up, and I put aside other things. Me too. Yeah. And I really, and I looked. I was like, you know what? Because the high is so easy in stand up. Yeah. It's immediate. <laughs> it's immediate. You don't have to wait for months and talk to a publisher. Exactly. <laughs> stuff. You just go you, out on stage and make you a know, laugh. You don't have to, you know, do like you know, like this podcast and stuff. 
In stand-up, you get up, you say a joke, and the response is immediate, exactly. and, it, and it's addicting, and it, it validates you as, in my, in my opinion, my existence. Like, okay, I'm somebody important to somebody. Yeah. You know? It, the, doing stand-up changed my self-confidence 100%. But, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But then I, 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 there was a time where I was like, you know, what does I want to do, though? You know, it, it's, it's like, I love stand-up. Do I see myself as a stand-up person career-wise? I mean, yeah. that would be great. It would be great. Cause it's fun and if you do it the right way you could make money from it you know but, but like you you know I, I've come from background of writing and reading mm-hmm. Me, meaning the first thing I did was poetry and then from there I went on to storytelling and I went on to, to I want to write not pretty much I want to write so many things so I was like you know what what stand up really is for me is a tool right what it really is it exercises like you mentioned that muscle mm-hmm. that, that comedy writing muscle yeah while music is more of another muscle I have to get from exactly and yeah. honestly once I start looking at things that, that way where it's not so much you know this like you know one thing to do mm-hmm. and it's more like a tree where you have several branches exactly and, but then you have a root thing which for me is writing mm-hmm. and I realize alright then I balance stand up more right you know? For me, that root thing is perspective. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I can figure out a different, uh, like, because uh, all of that writing is and all that stand-up is and all that music is, is just you presenting your perspective. Yeah. Like, for you, in my eyes, you are a writer. Yeah, you played music. Yeah, you do poetry. Yeah, you do stand-up. Yeah, you do podcasting. But from my eyes, my opinion, you are a writer. Thank you. Because <laughs> the root of all those things is you're applying uh, certain principles are, are found in writing. Yes. And diversity is just as part of writing as everything else. Exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, people go, oh, you're, you know, you're an artist. Or you're, you're, you are a musician. You are a citizen. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm none of those things. Yeah. You know? Writer first. I'm a writer. Yeah. That's what I do. I just happen to be doing that. And those and that and that writing tool kind of kind of, kind of seeps its way into other aspects of your life, you yeah. know. And Alex, I'm falling in love because I was like, I don't think I fell anybody, anybody else, and we're podcasting the same right? way <laughs> as well. That's very interesting. It's very interesting to have you here and, and talk about this. And so my question now is, uh, you mentioned before that you're moving from stand up to podcasting. Yes. And you have a weekly podcast that's on on Sundays. Yes. FCCfreeradio.com. Uh, how did you approach that? Uh, that one was the most terrifying uh, experience of my life because, as I mentioned before, I don't like the sound of my own vo- my own voice. Um, even though you sang. Yeah, even though I sang. Yeah. <laughs> I never liked the sound of my own voice. I like I like putting creativity out in the world, but I don't like my own creativity. I like the act of doing I, it. I, I don't, totally I don't understand. like my own art. <laughs> I totally understand. Yes. I do it because so far nobody has told me that I'm bad at it yet, so I just do it. I feel you 100%, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'm sorry. What was the original question? I lost my train of thought there. FCC radio. Oh right. How did I get started at FCC? It was so terrifying um, because uh, I had never. I, I was used to doing stage work, um, and so you would think that. So you acted. Oh, I mean, I I'd acted. You know, I'd in done theater? things. Uh, I wasn't a huge theater person. I worked behind the, the-, the behind the scenes on, on high school theater productions. I was, you know, I was running uh, the the backstage, the the uh, house stuff like that. But you weren't like a theater nerd or anything. I like was that? a theater nerd, but I was too afraid to audition. <laughs> what are some of your theater inspirations? Uh, I used to really love uh, Sweeney Todd. That was one of my favorite mm. plays growing up. Uh, and I also I've seen uh, I've seen uh, Wicked twice. Wicked. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. Uh, so I definitely was very interested in theater, but I'm I'm more afraid of failure than I am of anything else. So the idea of me not getting a part basically drove me away from ever trying to audition for a production, which is why I don't want to be. Which is why I still to this day like I've never tried like 
actual acting. People are like, hey, you should get your headshot to go out for this commercial. And I'm just like, oh, no, I don't really want to. It's not really for me. <laughs> Pretty broad question. Sure. But considering you do so many things, I feel like I need to ask you. Sure. What is it you're afraid of failing? Why is that? Oh, God. I've always been afraid of failing. That's like my biggest fear more than anything. Uh, I, I, I guess. But, but how do you define failure? How do I define failure? God, that is that is a broad question because I define it in so many different ways. Um, I, God. Here's why I'm asking that. Sure. Uh, doing as many things as you do, mm-hmm. failure is inevitable. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And it happens yeah. to me all the time. Yeah. It happens to me every day. It happens to me. It happens yeah. to a lot of people. Which is something that but, I but to, used to. But to some people, they just concentrate on one thing and that's what they do. So for them, there is a concrete sign of failure. Mm-hmm. Whether if it's stand up, oh, I bombed, failed. Oh, I didn't get it. I didn't make it to a comedy venue this far into the game, failure. Yeah. Which a lot of times, you know, it just takes time. But for someone like you, where you write so many different things, you're involved in so many other things, I'm kind of, uh, I'm wondering why is it you're still afraid of failure? Uh, for me, I guess I define failure as not beating my own high score. Like if I don't, if I go out and I do worse than I did the night before, or if I write something that's not as good as the thing I did before, then I failed. That's how I view it. Um, so for me, I guess I'm not as much comparing myself to other people as, as much as I'm comparing myself to who I am, who I was when I last wrote the last thing. So uh, I, how do I get past failure? Uh, I... I don't. The only thing that I do is I say, well, I just have to keep going. And I guess that's so cliche. Like everybody just says that. But uh, I take it. I still take failure so hard. I take failure so hard. Uh, There are situations in which and I always see things worse than than what they are. When I'm on stage, I'm like, oh, I just bombed. And then someone will come up to me and be like, hey, you had a you had a pretty good set. It wasn't your best set, but you had you had them laughing. You didn't bomb. You know, but I'm like, well, it wasn't as good as a set I had before. You know, so for me, if if I'm not constantly getting better, then I'm then I'm doing poorly. You know, so that's that's how I define failure, and uh, and and the only way that uh, the only reason that I'm still in um, stand up is because even though I I fail all the time, I I I realize that there, what drives me, and this is gonna sound so pretentious, but what drives me is that I always want to be the best at everything. I've always been that person. Where do you feel that came from? Um, I was always a competitive child. I like to win. <laughs> you you were an only child. Yes. So it's not like you had siblings to compete with. No, 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 no. So where do where do you feel this really came from? Uh, God, where did that come from? Uh, I played sports a lot as a kid. I played basketball. I played volleyball. I was terrible at basketball, but I was pretty good at volleyball. Um, and so uh, I, I just never, in PE, I never liked to lose. I never liked to lose. And I guess it's because uh, growing up, I thought that uh, if, I, if I wanted a game, then like, you know, the kids would like me for like a split second. And then so the older I got, you know, the less I cared about what other people thought and more about just what I thought, you know? And I just like, I just like winning. I like, <laughs> I like winning. I like being the best at things. I like beating people. It sounds so awful and so pretentious, but that's, that's what drives me in everything that I do. Is the mm-hmm. idea of, of is like a, I want to be the the best, you know? Not stand up is one thing because there's no sub, there's no objective best in stand up, but I just want to be the best in my mind, you know? Well, in everything you're involved in so far, yeah, there's no objective. There's no best. objective best in anything that I do. So, <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's, I mean, I think it's great you're competitive. That's, yes, uh, that, that gives you an edge over a lot of people I know already. Mm-hmm. I hide it, it very it, well. Very I, I'm not. I'm a very gracious loser, uh, but I hide it well. Uh, you know, what? and I was the same way. Uh, and I, but now I hide it less. Mm. 
now now I, I hide it less. Now it's like, you know what? I don't have to deal with certain people. I don't deal with certain people. Yeah. I may seem like an asshole, but hey, it's like, it's. I think it's the best decision for both of us. Mm. Uh, and We've always seemed very nice to me. Yeah. I try to be nice, you know, you know, but you know, it, going back to you though, uh, so you felt like you, there's always a, a milestone to reach. Yeah. And if you don't reach that milestone, like, fuck you. Yeah. No points for second place, dude. <laughs> um, it kind of goes back to like when I was a kid and my parents said, hey, you have to work twice as hard to get to get anything, you know, compared to these white kids. That's why they sent me to a white school. I think I think that's that. The, that might the, be the nugget of like what it is. I feel I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm digging into that. I feel please help me. Uh, well, I don't think, you know, you need help necessarily, <laughs> but I, I think it's fascinating because I in some ways I, I can relate to that. Yeah. From young age, your parents tell you, hey. We are not economically well, mm-hmm. and we, you know, the and you're a little colored kid, pretty much. Yeah. So the world's gonna be harder for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it wasn't like oh here's an example of what you can be. It's it's like you live with that example with your family, mm-hmm. at least with me. It's like hey yeah you, your your uncle's a day laborer. You know, it's, mm. it's like you see it. You, yeah. And you see the struggle, and I appreciate more. You know. But do you feel like you had that pressure as a kid? Yeah, I always, and I still have that pressure as an adult uh, because I'm still the first person in my family to go to college. And I'm, uh, well, the first person on my dad's family to go to college at all. Uh, and the first person on my mom's side to go get my master's. And so everyone's looking at me like, oh, Alex is going to make it. Alex is going to make it. I'm like, yeah, but what if I don't? <laughs> the pressure's even more. The pressure's a lot. The pressure's a yeah. lot. Uh, and it's funny because when I go places uh, with my family, my extended family, who I love tremendously, they're wonderful. They, they believe in me more than I could ever believe in myself. Um, but uh, it's funny because they believe in me as far as like me getting my achievements. They don't believe that I'm a funny person. Like they've never seen me do stand up. But when they heard that I did it, they're like, really, you weren't funny as a kid. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well. But uh, I, I always I, the thing was that I was always the example for the younger for the younger co- uh, cousins. They would they would look at me and be like, oh, uh, grandma says that, that you're going to college. You know, I want to be like you. And I'm like, no, you don't, because I smoke a lot of weed and I'm very a mean person. <laughs> you don't want to be like me when you grow up, you know. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where it came from, you know, the pressure growing up uh, with the younger cousins, a lot of cousins, uh, and even the older cousins who were kind of looking at me like, hey, you know, you're our, you're our family's, you know, hope. Hmm. So it is, a, it is a little bit of pressure, but. Yeah, it's, it's constant pressure. Yeah. Constant. No, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm the first in my family to get a BA. Yeah. So you understand. I'm graduating this month. Congratulations, dude. And that's I'm, wonderful. Thank you. And I'm freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet it's a lot of pressure, right? It is. Yeah. But but I, I feel the stuff that you've gone through as a kid and and you continue to go through, in my opinion, would make you. It, well, I, I haven't read your stuff. But I'm sure it makes you a great writer, because because that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, is you need conflict and you need you need. Oh, I had conflict. A, a fire. <laughs> you need a fire up up not in your ass. <laughs> yeah. To, to get you to moving, you know, because that's why I say, uh, it's like if you have nothing to complain about. Why are you writing? You have nothing to really write about. I mean, yeah. you, 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 you need you, some soul. You need something behind. Like we exactly. even say that about stand-up. Is that like, oh, this person can't be a good stand-up because they don't have anything bad in their lives yet. <laughs> you know, I've heard people say that. Like when I was, I was a, I was like a horribly. I, I feel the majority of people who get in stand-up at first mm-hmm. is because something bad happened in their life. Yeah, I know a lot of people that, you know, ended relationships or got divorced or moved out or mm-hmm. something. And then they were like, okay, you know what? I need to go get this out of my system. But people who excel in stand-up, 
No, I don't know. I don't know too much about that. that you, they, they could be right. A lot of them, I feel like a lot of the people that excel in stand-up really don't have any sort of, like, bad backstory at all. Like, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, perfectly normal people. Are they? I don't <laughs> Dave, think Dave so. Chappelle's parents were both professors. Yeah, you know? but, I mean, you read that on page, but you, yeah. can you imagine living with professors? No, I can't. <laughs> I can't imagine you know living with people. That's a lot of pressure. Like, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I have friends who, who come from academic families, and they're like, yeah, dude, it's, 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 it wasn't as easy as people think. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and Chris Rock. I mean, uh, he had a pretty rough childhood, did he not? Uh, I, 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 I was under the impression that you know he had an okay childhood. I, I might be wrong. Mm. Uh, I'm not as much of a scholar about uh, about those guys. I can tell, <laughs> I can tell you about John Mulaney until the sun goes down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, John Mulaney's your favorite? That's my guy. That's my guy. It's funny. That's Ben Hadamil's favorite too. Really? Yeah. How have we never talked about that? Yeah. Actually, I think we did when he was on my podcast. We talked about that, and I was just like, you know what? Uh, I don't like you, but I'm just kidding. I like Ben. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, John Mulaney is my, my person for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we should get to that. Let's get to the lighter side of stuff. Sure. I uh, mean, I could talk about awful shit. I <laughs> I'm down, but you know, it's uh, up to you. Who, who are some of your comedy inspirations now? Uh, John Mulaney. I, uh, John Mulaney is my favorite comedian. Uh, Bill Burr is my second. And I love Bill Burr because of um, his, uh, his cadence. I love how honest he is. And I love how, you know, everybody wants to be that comic that like, oh man, you're in my head. You're thinking, you're saying what I've always been thinking. And Bill Burr is definitely that guy for me as far as like his standup and also in his podcast. He's definitely like one of my podcasting inspirations. Um, as far as like uh, people that I really wish I could be, it's definitely Natasha Leggero. Like mm. that's, that's, she's my number three, but I like, I, I try my best to like, you know, uh, be as awesome as she is because uh, I love, I love female comedians but there's a lot of pressure on us to be both sexy and extra funny because mm -hmm. you know being women people already don't think we're funny so we have to kind of like cross over that barrier and mm -hmm. then be extra funny to be considered one of the top ones you know it's such it's such a stupid notion it is a really stupid notion um because now they think if you really think about it you know it's not it's not so much you know this whole concept of funny but it's like it's like implying that oh you like you the people you grew up are not funny as your sisters or your mom it's like yeah they're yeah. extremely funny yeah I don't I don't get how people can uh, can come from families with sisters and not think that women are funny <laughs> women are hilarious I don't I don't understand people sometimes me neither I've had people come up to me after shows and be like you know I don't really like female comedians but you're alright and I'm like that's kind of like saying I don't really like black people but you're alright yeah <laughs> Really? Here in the like Bay Area? That. Yeah, people in the Bay Area, comedians in the Bay Area you know what? have said that to me. You know what? I, I hear that's pretty notorious in SF. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Because I, oh, God, I, don't yes. re I don't really hear too much about female comedians getting a hard time in San Jose. Mm. Well, uh, there's not there's I, not that many of us in San Jose. That's that's true. I see a lot more in San I'm doing or, a city show tonight. Or, there's a lot more. Or female comedians so far in Santa Cruz. Like, I haven't really, you know. I have uh, yet to do a show in Santa Cruz. No. That's a good. That's a good. Good I keep spot. hearing. I keep getting booked on DNA's Blue Lagoon show, and then things happen. Like the last time I, I was supposed to go, it flooded. It flooded. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that sucks. But yeah, there's a little bit of extra. Uh, but but I, sorry, it just I feel like yeah oh. in SF I I hear a lot of a lot of not necessarily horror stories about female comics being treated kind of shitty. Mm -hmm. And not 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 necessarily by other comics, but yeah. by the, some some crowds. Crowds, bookers. Bookers. things like that uh but the thing is that the bookers are looking at the money the bookers are looking at who's bringing in the most the most people you know right. and female comedians historically have just not done that 
you know, and it's not our fault. It's mostly the crowd. It's even most, uh, if you, I think there was like a man on the street interview and I don't remember who did this, but, uh, some people asked like even women, like, would you go see a, a woman comedian? And they were like, no, no, I wouldn't. Women aren't funny. And it's like, you're a, a woman. Are you saying that you're not funny? You don't have a funny bone at all in your body, you know? So. Well, I, I don't think it's so much about funny. I think it's, it's this uh, culture of entertainment. That's what mm. it is. I feel. Yeah. It's a very male driven uh, it environment. Is. Very know? much so. And especially in TV, uh, I'm sure you know about that oh, too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, TV and, and film. And I think about it, and both the creative side and the technical side of things. Absolutely, both sides of it. Uh, that's why uh, Shonda Rhimes was such a big deal in my family because I, I always wanted to be a, a, a show writer, a showrunner. And so uh, Shonda Rhimes, she came out with like Scandal and all the different stuff. And so that was a big deal for us because we had never seen a woman, a black woman, run all of that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. especially having uh, women lead the show. Uh, like uh, this last year was the first time that a woman has ever a, uh, a black woman has ever won uh, an Emmy for an outstanding lead character in a drama series, and that blew my mind. And I'm thinking like, there's so many amazing black female actresses out there, and I'm just, I'm just wondering where where are they? <laughs> you mm. know? So so yeah, and it's it's a it's a bunch of different hurdles you have to jump over, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, people. Uh, they want to see what's attractive on, on the screen. You know, they want to see what's attractive to them. And uh, it tends not to be us. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, though. I don't think it's necessarily people. I think it's the gatekeepers in the entertainment industry. Mm. I think it's their ignorance of, of uh, and their uh, sense of arrogance of like, yes, I know what people want. Yeah. Oh, we done focus groups. It's like, yeah, focus Who? groups are, are in L.A. And like 90% of people in L.A. are like, you know. Rich and white. <laughs> not, not, say, not not rich and white, but they're more like, you know, in that bubble. Mm. And they themselves don't can't really speak for the rest of the country and what they want. Exactly. Um, so the, the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is there's a lot of ignorance, I feel. In the entertainment industry, yeah, you know, a so, lot of it behind the scenes. You're right. You know, I, I don't think it's outright racism. I don't think it's outright, you know, prejudice. I think it's just ignorance of them, like assuming they know what people want. Want, yeah. When, when it's like red is, look at our elections. We don't know what the fuck we want. No, we don't. <laughs> you know, we, we are really a very don't. confused nation. Very, and uh, in some ways, as we should be. Mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. that, that brings a lot of diversity. But that's the point I'm trying to make. Is uh, at least from my writing standpoint, is. Well, at least when I run an open mic, you know, mm -hmm. for Scotty, I want more female comedians because I want more diversity in perspective. Right. Exactly. Because you know? right. it's like after a while you hear the same shit all over again. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put anyone down, but but that's true in everything, whether it's in film, whether it's in music. Mm -hmm. Whether it's it, it, if you put five people together with the same background, they're gonna have a similar perspective. At least two of them will. Exactly. You know? And the more diverse that thing, I feel the more magic happens and, and more, you know, different forms of art forms and everything comes out. Absolutely. That's why I like the uh, LGBTQ scene so much in comedy, because that's a perspective that I, I had never seen growing up because I had never seen gay comics on TV before. Um, mm. So so I like I like diversity because it, then you don't see the same rehashed material like, oh, oh my girlfriend did this and my dog mm. did this, you know, yeah. just and, and a little it, boring. And not only that, but it's a good balance of different, but at the same time similarity. Yeah. You find, find a common come, ground. Exactly. And I, I don't know. I just for me, I feel kind of bad that that kind of happens even here in the mm. Bay Area. It does. And yeah. it's for because bookers, like you said, they, they look at the numbers. Yeah. You know, so and I, I don't, I don't honestly don't blame them for that. They're looking at like what they think is going to make them the most money because it's a business. Comedy's a business. Right. But still, I don't. It's just hard uh, for me. It's it's hard to really hear about that stuff. 
Oh, well. That's why I always learn, you know, got to be better. <laughs> got to be the best. Otherwise, gotta people gotta don't look best. at you. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Alex, I think I think you're awesome. I think I, you're I, awesome. I think, uh, I think it's good that you came here. I think... Uh, I'm happy to have come here. I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, how, how does it feel? Have you been to other podcasts? I have... Have I done another podcast? Oh, yes. I've done a couple. Uh, I did... Uh, Jay Austin Graham has a great show on Wednesday nights called and uh, Not Safe for Work. Uh, and it's on FCC. And then I did uh, Dom Jellin, whose show I'm going to tonight. Uh, she and Tess Berry have a great show called The uh, Lazy Brunch Hour on Sunday mornings at Mutiny. And uh, and they heard on my podcast the week before how much I liked uh, day drinking and uh, tequila sunrises. And so when I came on their show, they made me a tequila sunrise. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, and I've never done like a podcast in Mutiny before, but it was it was just so much fun. So, yeah, I think I've done a couple of podcasts. Mutiny is a fun room. Mutiny is super fun. Yeah. Oh, man. I did uh, Terry Dorsey. He has a comics and convo there. Mm-hmm. I did the pilot there and that was so much fun. Uh, and it was the first place I ever did stand-up, so I, I love it. I have a strong affinity with uh, Mutiny. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a good room to do stand-up for the first time. Right? <laughs> everybody, everybody there is so supportive. They're so supportive. Yeah. It's such a nice group of people. Like, such Pam good vibes. Wonderful. Yeah. Like, I remember I had a, a gig over there to do stand-up, and I remember, like, getting there was awful, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the parking's awful. T- no, I took the cow train. Oh, God. But me and my dumbass took my bike. Not, really, not realizing like, the amount of hills you had the to go hill, over. Nine-degree hill. So, I, you know, me a dumbass carrying my bike up. Yeah. And then I get there, and I'm already pissed. Oh, I get there. I get there too early. I'm like, fuck. Oh, God. So I need to get some food. And I'm like, wait, this is the mission. Why aren't there any taquerias? Like, like, there's no Mexicans here. It's all Priuses and, and gentrification, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I think there's a taco place, yeah. like, right across the street now. So I, I go I go down the street, and then I, I find this bar. It's like, fuck it. I go to this bar. Yeah. It turns out to be some, like, I don't know, some super vegan hipster something. Oh, where Where a <laughs> small spinach ball costs, like, $8. And we was like, oh. so I did it. Anyway, point I'm trying to make, I was already in a bad mood. I get a meeting to do the show. It changes completely because yeah. it was such a good crowd, so such supportive environment. That I was like, you know what? This makes up everything that happened to me today. Right. You know, so for I hold a special place for Mutiny in my heart as well. Oh man, I love it. I, if I ever had to do a, another a big show, I would do it at Mutiny. It's yeah. a fun, it's a fun place. No, I, I don't think we got. Let's get back to that before we we end the show. Sure. FCC Radio. Yes. You were afraid going in. I was terrified. Going you, had, you had no experience in no experience in radio, broadcasting, anything nothing like that. Like that. Uh, I I went in and I had a and I had a co-host at the time. Uh, shout out to Mitch Campbell, love you to death, closest thing I have to a brother. Um, but uh, we started out together. Was that the original plan to have a co-host? Yes, that was the original plan because I did not think I was funny enough to do it by myself. And uh, uh, so I, I got really terrified when uh, we transitioned out of Mitch and just into me doing it by myself. And, uh, and there's been a couple episodes where I've had like Chris Cruz on or I had Daniel Paredes on or, and someone, you know, like kind of a co-host for me. But uh, once I started doing it by myself is when the whole like the numbers changed, like, you know, our, our viewership changed, listenership changed. People started tuning in way more often uh, and nothing bad about anybody else with me. But I guess I had more confidence and it kind of showed. And so because um, you push yourself in the corner. Yeah, like, I, I put myself in the corner. There. I got to put myself out there for sure now. Yeah. And uh, it was so terrifying uh, because my first time doing it, I had like a set understanding of what I wanted to do every single episode. I'm like, okay, I have this segment. We're gonna do about. We're gonna do this, and I'm gonna have this guest and everything. And I realized that comedy and podcasting are both very free form. 
you know? And sometimes uh, my guests aren't, weren't as comfortable sticking with like rigid structure and I'm a structured person. Mm -hmm. uh, so the way that I kind of grew as far as like my podcasting is I had to learn, okay, well, what's the best way to get as much information out of my guests in, in a really enjoyable, because the show is two hours and that's a hard thing to fill. So uh, I try to make it as enjoyable for my guests and I realize, okay, as long as I'm focusing on my guests having a good time, that's a good episode. That's mm -hmm. an episode that people want to come back for. So at the time, terrifying, but now it's uh, it's like a, a thing that's a huge part of me. You know, this week I have Dan Lindley and now I get so excited when I have these comedians on that I've just been wanting to talk to for so long, you know, because I want to find out like, why did you start stand up? Like what what what, are, what what can you offer me? Like, what can you help me out with as far as like, you know, without uh, my writing and like my perspective, you know, not even so much my stand up, just like helping me out form uh, a bigger perspective on, on the world. And I've always gotten something big from all of my guests mm -hmm. and I realized that, OK, if I get that, then my guests get that, and that's why we're popular now, you know? So, um, not as popular as I would like, <laughs> mm. but we're definitely, we're definitely doing good. We're definitely doing good. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask you about that title. Here's why that's funny. Sure. That's pretty ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, it is, that, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, you know, that's quite a statement you're putting out there. It's like, here, here's why this is funny. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay. If you here's... don't think this is funny, then you don't know what <laughs> funny you. is. Uh, what it is is that uh, I was I was always, this is so not funny. I was always a very uh, depressed person. I was a super depressed teenager. Uh, I, you know, I had issues, but uh, I always had a really sick sense of humor inside of that depression. Even when I was in my lowest points where I'm just like, I'd want to die right now. I was still like, that's where my, 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 my favorite suicide joke comes from is, is that. And, um, and uh, I figure that there, if you put a spin on anything, literally anything, no matter how awful it is, there is a reason why that's funny. Mm -hmm. So I call the show Here's Why That's Funny because originally we planned on talking about like the news and like figuring out like a, a spin on it that would make it into like, like a joke. And so now I realize that like, you know, um, if you, everybody's perspective, they all have a reason why they do stand up. And, uh, and they have a reason why they think that their jokes are funny and they have a reason why their jokes resonate with other people. And so, uh, and, and in life, there's a reason why things resonate with other people. And so we try to find a way, well, I try to find a way uh, that these moments, whether they're happy or sad or like awful things or just normal things that happen to us every single day. And I try to figure out why is that funny? And so that's why we call the show Here's Why That's Funny. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a really long story, but that's uh, that's what it was. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Now. <laughs> that, that totally does. Yeah. That totally does. And also, it was, it was just an original name. Like that, there were so many different podcasting names out there, and it's like, what's one that nobody has? And yeah. so that's what we came up with. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned depression. Yeah. And you say you had it throughout your life. Oh yeah, uh, to the point that I thought that that it uh that was how you lived, and mm. I, and I started doing stand up, and I was like, I was I started feeling better, and I was like, oh. Okay, so you're not supposed to be sad all the time. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's you know that the beginnings of here's why that's funny, uh, because of because of all that. So yeah, I was I was a pretty I was a pretty depressed uh, kid, teenager, young adult. Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned suicide. Were you suicidal? Yeah, I was. Uh, but uh, you know, I was. But in retrospect, was that in high school or was that in college? Uh, I was I was I was suicidal in uh in high school, but uh. In uh, college, I wasn't as bad because I, I didn't feel like uh, I didn't belong anywhere, you know, yeah. like because uh, I was in a sorority. I was I had, I had some friends. I was pretty popular, but I still didn't feel like I could be myself. 
So I was still like morbidly depressed, but I wasn't like, I wasn't like constantly like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. But I, you know, those, those moments do seep in. Like when you're alone at, at midnight and you're, everything's just going wrong, you're like, oh man, this is really bad. But uh, yeah. So. You, you skipped right through it. But, did I? But, <laughs> but, but, but I think it's important to, to I, I want to know, sure. how did you overcome that suicidal thoughts of in high school? Uh, in high school, that's the thing is that I kind of didn't. You know, I kind of just like let it. And I, the thing is that even as an adult, I still internalize everything. Anything bad that happens, I assume that it's because of something that I did. So at the time you're like, well, yeah, you know, I, I want Yeah. At the time I'm like, oh yeah, I deserve this. This is just how I am, you know? Oh, okay. And so uh, I never really got over it until, uh, and, the, and a lot of the reason why was because I put a lot of pressure on myself as far as like how other people perceived me. And because I thought that I didn't mean anything because other people just thought it was just garbage. I, I was bullied really bad, so that didn't help at all. You were a victim of bullying. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I wouldn't call it a victim because uh, now it, it, it rocks because all those people, like, suck now and they didn't go to college and they're awful people. Uh, and now they're looking at me like, hey, you're super cool because you're doing stand-up. I'm just like, yeah, bitch, I know. But, uh, yeah, I was bullied a lot. And it was because, like, I always thought that, like, oh, other people don't validate me, so I'm not a very valid person. And that kind of changed when I started doing stand-up. And it's like, okay uh i'm funny like i guys may not want to sleep with me but i'm funny so that's all that really that's all that really matters and so i stopped internalizing that as far as like if i think that i'm funny and i have this, the courage to go up on stage and like try to make a joke out of like an awful thing you know then i can pretty much do anything and there's no reason for me to to, to treat myself so poorly you know hmm. so that was really what it was it's just growing up i just treated myself super poorly and uh, do you feel like you're, you're getting better at handling that oh or, yeah yeah or do you feel it's worse now uh, I definitely still internalize emotions. Yeah. You know, when somebody's having a bad day and they're kind of rude to me, I'm thinking like, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. You know, I've always been that person. Uh, but uh, I, I've definitely gotten better as far as like handling my, I, the day that I realized that uh, nobody else was responsible for my happiness was the day that I was like, okay, I got to pick myself up and I'm going to be happy. It's just a choice every single day. When was that moment? Uh, was it a rock bottom moment? Oh yeah, it was a rock bottom moment. It was it was, uh, it was a little bit, it was uh, one of the reasons that my parents, I believe, gave me the, the subscription to that class was because I was, I was kind of having like a rock bottom moment. Um, and so and, and so that it, it, it was like a, a switch flipped once I started doing stand-up. So you mentioned that you got out of a relationship. Uh, at, at that time. at that time, it, I don't. I it, it seems so long ago, but it sounds about right. I was a very uh, boy crazy girl, and I used to because guys were so weirded out by me growing up. So I never, I never had like I had like one or two serious boyfriends, but uh, basically I based like my self worth on like whether or not boys liked me, which in retrospect is the worst thing and that they, any person that any girl could do to themselves, especially as like a young girl. Any person really? Yeah. yeah. Any anybody, you yeah. know. And so, uh, because a, a boy but, didn't like me, I was yeah. like, I'm the worst person ever. But, but I think actually, not take it back, girls even worse. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of girls. pressure to be perfect, you know. Yeah, more pressure than guys. Yeah. To be perfect. And I was in a sorority and with a beautiful with beautiful women all the time. Yeah. And they were constantly just like getting laid and like getting phone numbers and stuff like that. And boys just thought it was so weird, so creepy. And uh, and so yeah. that must have been tough when you're in a relationship. Um. Yeah. Because I have flaws. I have flaws. And well, I we all do. Yeah. Well, what I mean by that is, like, I had flaws of relationships. Mm. And now I'm getting older. I'm kind of reflecting. I'm trying not to do those mistakes. But I was like, yeah, you know, was, you know, I remember the biggest, most important relationship I had. I, I feel I fucked that up. Why? Because I was, I was too needy in a sense of like I'd ha I've never had that experience before. Right. And in the process of not having that experience, I, I made her. You know, I just overdid it. 
Mm. In some ways, I, I might have might have might have felt her like as at some point, you know, suffocating. Yeah. And not necessarily because you know I'm like you know trying to. It's more because I didn't know how to handle those situations. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from just, like, not having... I just didn't have a lot of social practice growing up. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I didn't have a lot of friends. Mm. So by the time I got to, like, that dating age, it, it was just uh, it was just really hard for me. What... Do <laughs> you feel like there was a, a common issue that came up when you were in a serious relationship? Yeah. And it was always my low self-esteem. It was always mm. that. Uh, to this day, it's still that, you know? Yeah. Um, but even though now I feel more secure in myself as a person, but when I'm in a relationship... Uh, I always used to think like, why are you in this relationship with me? Yeah, <laughs> like it's kind of something happening right now. Yeah, yeah. it's something that's ha- I, I, yeah today it's happening. But uh, at the time, uh, it was so much worse because I had no self esteem at all. Right. Like now, it's just like I'm I'm a total bitch. Why do you hang out with me so much? But like before, it was like I'm super ugly. I'm super gross. Like nobody likes me. Why are you with me? And they'd be like, Oh, you're right. You are super ugly and gross. I'm gonna go over <laughs> that's here. <fucked> up. <laughs> So yeah, that's why that college was pretty rough with that, you know. Yeah, I I totally hear you. Yeah. Uh, same here. Uh, yeah, so you, you understand. Know. But now that I'm a little older, it's like now it's like, you know, like this new gal that I'm with. Mm-hmm. She's great, and I I do have those insecurities. Yeah. I was like, dude, she's like, why is she with me? Like, like I she deserves a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I used to be vocal with that stuff. I was like, no, I got to keep it to myself. Yeah. Because the minute you you do that. Then they insecurities are not attractive. I no, guess no. I realized that growing up that they're not. But but for me, like I'm still struggling with it, so I, I have to find a way to get this energy out. Because mm-hmm. again, I, I have scars from my past relationships. Yeah. And I really like this girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I and That's sweet. no, I really love her. Like Aww. I really do. And because of that, it's like all right, I need to rewire how I look at relationships because the, the because. I don't want to do the same mistakes. You know, I keep right. saying that, but th- that's what it is. It's like, and I have those insecurities and it's like, um, uh, and, and I get it. I, I really yeah. do. I get I, it. I still, to this day, but, but I tell yeah. her, uh, but I tell her story. I was like, Hey, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm into you mm-hmm. and at any point you're not into me. It's okay. Just let me know. Just let me know so that I'm not you know? wasting my time. Yeah. And, and I told her, Hey, I, I tell you right now, like I, I'm very emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, you may, you may, you know, correlate that with my, my, me writing. Yeah. Creative people are sensitive. Yeah, but just just know that if I ever seem that way, it's not it's nothing because of you. None mm-hmm. of that. It's just the way I process things. If I seem insecure, it's just the way I process things. And at yeah. first, she was like, eh, "What do you mean? What are you talking about? This is weird." It's like, but it's like you, you'll see, you know, because there'll be times where I'm just cranky because I'm struggling with a with a fucking you know screenplay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she might interpret that as me like you know something she did or something I did something we're not doing exactly I, I'm going through that right now like uh, I lost my job a couple weeks ago and so I internalized that hardcore um, even though I got laid off because my, my startup shut down it wasn't even my fault mm. you know I got everything together uh, and so I was just like super upset and always in a bad mood and I feel bad my wonderful boyfriend who loves me to death and I just internalize all that and I'm in such a such a jerk sometimes because I'm just in a bad mood because of that. And you know, yeah. I realize that like if you really care about somebody in those bad times is when you kind of grow a little bit, you know? Yeah. If you want to be together long term, it's about the good times and the bad times, you know? The love yeah. isn't tested when everything is fine. The love is tested when somebody loses a job or somebody dies, you yeah. know. So it's a balance. You you gotta yeah. meet each other, you know, halfway. Yeah. You know, as, as I mentioned, I I'm making an effort. To not show my insecurities out as much. You and I are exactly the same yeah. in that way. You know, we are because uh, I'm trying my best because I'm a very I'm still a very insecure person. So, but I, I think uh, 
seeing similarities in our in, in our lives so mm-hmm. far i i think you i think we're gonna be okay i hope so i think you're gonna be okay uh, dude you're doing great uh, man you, oh thank you see for, for being frank you tell me that and my have like no i'm not like i'm graduating <laughs> i have no i'm gonna have no dude, job i literally you know, you know what i'm saying i'm like i'm going to my master's program in the fall and i have no money to get <laughs> there i have <laughs> nothing i'm not gonna be okay dude but but <laughs> I, and I don't say we're gonna be okay because yeah. you know it's some. So I'm saying we're gonna be okay. Yeah. Because you have a lot of outlets. Yeah. That you could take advantage of. Constantly, yeah. Always you put know? things out there. And the, I, people, I feel people. I have no faith in myself as well, but other people have faith in me and what I do. Yeah. And I hear the same thing about you, Alex. People have faith in what you do. Oh God, who told you? Who lied to you about that? <laughs> take it as you want it, but 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 you know they're like yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, well, this is very therapeutic for me. I feel like I'm talking like a mirroring of myself. I know, right? This uh, is, I'm very happy I came here. This is very great for me. <laughs> because I think at the bottom of that, Alex, I th- I think that's our core. Our insecurities is our core, and we do what we do. Yeah. Because we are not comfortable, even in our own skin. Nope. But I feel that makes at least that makes me that gives me an edge. Yeah. You know. Uh, people say I'm intense. Like I country, like, yeah, I'm, I'm intense, and I have to be. Some, I don't have to be, but I am. But it's stuff that drives me. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I hope it's something that drives you. Oh, too. I'm driven like a hundred percent, by my insecurities. That's why I always feel like I have to win because I'm so insecure. Because yeah. if I'm second place, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know. <laughs> winning. Like, uh, I don't right. know. I'm not onto the whole winning thing yeah. yet. Don't be, because uh, it ruins your life. <laughs> I figured, you know, yeah. I don't know. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Do, do you feel that's something you want to keep do- yeah. seeing as I, I, winning? I, I feel like I have to. Because if, if I give myself, like, room to be apathetic about, like, my achievements, then I'll start to falter. And it, it'll make it so that uh, I don't make any more achievements ever. So uh, it's it's a very uncomfortable place to be because it means you're always moving. There's never a moment where you're like, okay, I can kind of relax and sit down. But uh, it means that you constantly have to be, like, making yourself better in some way which mm. is kind of exhausting, you know. But that's what like that's why my insecurities kind of keep me on point is because I know the ways that in which I fail as a person, as a comedian, as a writer. And so I'm trying to figure out every single day what can I do to bring me to the next level so that I don't have that insecurity anymore. Mm. You know. So So def- I don't know. What is the point in your life that you finally say I'm a winner? The point in my life where I will finally say I'm a winner. Huh. I mean, okay. To be fair, I think I'm a winner now because I have a winner's mentality because I'm always trying my best. But I think you're a winner now because you're on my podcast. <laughs> I do. Th- thank you. I made it, dude. I'm so excited to be here. But uh, I think that if I can get to the point where um, I've always been a pretty uh, a person that wants other people to be happy, you know, um, if I can get to the point in my life where I can comfortably help other people. Because I like giving money to people. I like making a positive change, but I don't have anything to give right now because I'm broke as fuck. If I can get to the point where I can um, use my influence and actually make a change, it sounds so pretentious and it sounds so cliche, but once I get to that point where I'm comfortable enough to like see people like me and help them, Mm -hmm. then I'll I'll know that I've kind of made it, you know? Is there a position? Uh, I I would like to uh, do something with podcasting down the line um, if, if I could. But uh, there's no like set position, you know, I mean, obviously everybody like here's here's my personal thing is that I'll know that I've made it once I I've had it all because everyone says as a woman, you have to kind of pick between like family and like your career success. 
And so I've always been like, no, I'm, I'm going to do both, you know? So, and I know it's going to be very hard, uh, but I'll know that I've made it once I have both of those things. If I have a family and I also have uh, that career success where I'm comfortable enough that I can help other people, like I'll, I'll consider myself, I'll consider myself a winner. But as of right now, that position is not defined. As of right now, no, not okay. a defined position, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Right. One step at a time. <laughs> now you mentioned before, you know, you had a great episode when your guests had a good time, right? Yes. Are you, did you have a good time? I had a wonderful time with you, dude. Uh, okay. You have a wonderful. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. So Please th- come on my podcast, And then dude. this, then this makes this a wonderful, uh, episode that's oh. what i'd love to uh now that i'm graduating i have more time for sure on Yay! sundays okay so so that, i'm looking forward to that okay awesome and, and uh, i don't think i will uh contribute to why something is funny but uh <laughs> i always get it out of you guys i always get it out of the guests i'm so excited uh, so, sometimes i feel like i'm the worst guest in other people's podcasts though i always I, feel that way. <laughs> i feel like I, I talk too much or i'm talking about stuff that's not even funny no yeah. no dude <laughs> I, I like I love guesting on other people's podcasts because it means I don't have to do anything but talk about my life. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, love, glad to be glad that you came. I'm so glad to be here, Jorge. Thank you so much, dude.